This guest episode, The Courage to Be an Inclusive Leader with Ellen Burton, will give you concrete concepts and guidance to be the inclusive leader your team desires and deserves. Ellen is an international speaker on business issues which include workplace culture, diversity, equity, and inclusive leadership. Ellen speaks about this nuanced topic in a clear, understandable, and accessible way. I'm glad you're here to listen in. Welcome to the Courage of a Leader podcast. This is where you hear real-life stories of top leaders achieving extraordinary results, and you get practical advice and techniques you can immediately apply for your own success. This is where you will get inspired and take bold, courageous action. I'm so glad you can join us. I'm your host, Amy Riley. Now, are you ready to step into the full power of your leadership and achieve the results you care about most? Let's ignite the courage of a leader. Always appreciate having time with you, Ellen, and I'm looking forward to our conversation today. I know we decided to talk about a very important leadership intention and outcome is to be an inclusive leader. How, Ellen, do you define or think about inclusive leadership? Uh, There's so many facets, but I think the thing that comes most clear to me is an inclusive leader is someone who's paying attention Mm -hmm. to who's in the room. And which is interesting because it falls right along the lines of the description of a, gosh, you know, like empowering leader. It falls along the lines of um, emotional intelligence. Like what does a high emotional intelligence look like, which we know now is a huge factor in professional success, regardless of what the profession is. Mm-hmm. Um, I can also say that an inclusive leader is someone who uh, gives everyone a voice when there's an opportunity. It's mm-hmm. someone who is an ally to underserved populations within the organization, someone who is um, sensitive to the fact that everyone in the room may not have had their same journey, and, yeah. he, and he or she is curious about mm-hmm. other people's perspectives and journeys because there aren't very many professions where the client does not need to look or the customer, the client, the customer, right? Yeah. Should, should the, the, the internal people should reflect what the client looks like, right? Or oh, else how yeah. are we going to really know? Yeah. So that leader is making sure that they are hiring people who are different than they are, right? Like the mm-hmm. neurological diversity that we talk about, mm-hmm. um, as well as experience, you know, professional experience, personal experience like that. Because that leader wants to tap into everything they can in order to produce results. Wow. Ellen, you just said a lot that an inclusive leader is empowering, emotionally intelligent. They're giving everyone a voice, sensitive to differing experiences, curious, right? They're hiring a variety of talent. Right, making sure that reflects their customers, their communities that they're playing in. And I actually really love the first thing that you said, paying attention. An inclusive leader is paying attention. It is active, 
right? It's not just, okay, I've hired my diverse team. Here they are. It's active every day, tuning into how to make everything you just said possible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a point there that you made too, which is brilliant. And that is 25 years ago when DE and I, diversity, equity, and inclusion became a hot topic in the business world, there was this big push to hire people who looked differently than the leaders. And quite frankly, most of the leaders in the business world were straight white males, right? And so the idea was, let's, you know, put some uh, color and variety in here. The Mm -hmm. problem was there was no development when it came to equity, equal opportunities for development and advancement, and very little interest in what does inclusion mean. Mm-hmm. Right. And today, 25 years later, we're using the word belonging as yes. well. Like do people actually not feel, but know that they belong in this organization because mm-hmm. of our behavior. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we do with my company is we ask the leaders, like, what are your values and how mm-hmm. do you see your values acted out? Like what is the behavior that would tell a candidate, right? Or your, the people who are already working for you that they belong here, right? And we know from years and years, I think we can attribute this to Oprah, who probably attributed this to a lot of psychological research. All human beings want, like the basic thing is to know that they matter, right? <sighs> Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like that I have a community that I belong. Yes. And leaders have the chance to do that. I mean, it's really quite a responsibility and, mm-hmm. um, and quite a gift to extend to someone, you know, like yeah. you matter. Yes. You matter. Yes. I, I want to drill down on that further, Ellen. But first, let me let listeners know more about you. Ellen Burton is my guest today, and she is the author of the Amazon best-selling book, The Civility Project, How to Build a Culture of Reverence to Improve Wellness, Productivity, and Profit. Love that title. Ellen is an international lecturer on business issues, which include workplace culture, diversity, equity, and inclusion and inclusive leadership. Our topic today. In her 27th year as an executive coach and consultant, Ellen has supported C-suite executives, executive directors, and business owners in establishing and exceeding their goals. Clients of Ellen's include the City of New York, the University of Chicago, Barclays, Kellogg, SC Johnson, Humana Healthcare, the New York Association for Advancing Racial Equity, the United States Homeland Security, U.S. Army, Air Force, and Navy. Ellen serves on several boards, including Newfield New Network and ICF Coach Training Corporation and the Open Studio Project. She's an avid golfer, novice tennis player, community volunteer, and is active in her church. Because of working with her coach, Ellen is powerfully contributing to the world while happily and gratefully living a life beyond her wildest dreams. I'm so glad to call you a colleague, Ellen, and to have you with us today on the podcast. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. Yeah. So before that introduction, you were talking about something really important um, about giving all the diverse members of our community, our organization, a sense of belonging. And you were tying this to values. Can you say more about that or give an example? How, how do we 
articulate and lean on values in order to create a sense of belonging? It's a direct line, actually. And a lot of people don't um, know the direct line. Uh, I think that a lot of executives, as they grow up in the business world, um, maybe from 22 or 24 out of college or grad school, until they hit a C-suite position or maybe owner or CEO of a company, right? They've learned how to behave. They've learned how to show Mm -hmm. respect and dignity, whether it's somebody from uh, the town next door or somebody from across the globe, right? They've learned etiquette. They've learned Mm -hmm. respectable tone, volume, how to treat people when you want them to hear you and how you want to be heard. Then they assume that everyone else knows how to behave. Hmm. So when we have a situation of a, a manager who's frustrated, a manager who may be carrying prejudice of some kind or another, it just it, the leaders that I work with, it just blows their mind that these people don't know how to act. Hmm. And then I say, and then I hear people say things like, I have one client who used to say, it's just common sense. It's just common sense how to behave, you know, how to lead, how to manage. And it's like leadership is a high, high level skill. Mm, right. Mm-hmm. Inclusive leadership is an additional skill. Uh-huh. Right. There's no common sense to it. And if I have a, a, a leader who's 55 and most of her team is 25, common sense is made up of experience, wins, failures, education. You know what I mean? Like work experience. It's like it's no I don't know what you know what the definition is of common sense, but it's not universal. And so I work with leaders and say, what is important to you? What are your values? We call them beliefs. What do you believe, right? And then what are the behaviors that are going to support how you believe your employees should treat each other? So then we mm-hmm. teach them about conflict management in a timely manner. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of training and development around emotional intelligence. We um, work with the leadership team around inclusive leadership skills, like you know, basic inclusive leadership skills. And then they go away and try some and come back and work with their individual coach. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, this is um, not common sense, right? Yeah. And the other cool thing is that once the leaders identify how they want people to treat each other internally, they have a way to measure it. And that measurement should be attached to yes. compensation. It should be attached to developmental plans. It should be attached to conversations that happen on a regular basis. And the yeah. development of your people is a huge responsibility that all managers should be held accountable for, right? Because yeah. we know that the millennial and the Gen Xers, and now the Gen Z, the iPhone generation, yeah. um, they will not stay if they don't feel like they're growing and being developed. So yeah. this is a huge retention tool to be an inclusive leader. Yeah, absolutely. I'm taking some notes over here, Alan, and I wrote common sense, and I put a line through it, right? And instead, <laughs> it's paying attention. Instead, it's um, being intentional, yeah. right? And here's like we're reflecting, we're thinking about what's important to us. How does that get demonstrated in behaviors? And if we're behaving this way, what metrics, what bottom line results will be impacted as a result of engaging in those behaviors? Well said, well said. A lot of the clients who come to um, EJ Burton and Associates will say, I don't like the way people are treating each other internally. Or they see, you know, the extreme is when you see violence in a workplace, like um, what happened uh, about a month ago at Walmart, um, a manager, a young man, young, right, 30-something. The feedback from the employees was um, he wasn't well-liked, nobody wanted to go to him, 
you know, there's obviously something going on. He'd been, a, he'd been there for over 10 years and had been a manager for yeah. four years. And it's hard for me to believe that like nobody, nobody saw that this, you know, this is a young man. I'm going to call him a kid because I'm a woman of a certain age. <laughs> but nobody saw this man in such distress that he came in one day and shot his colleagues and then killed himself. That's the extreme. But the behaviors of the manager who nobody wants to go to, the manager who doesn't have developmental conversations, um, the, the person who is the biggest salesperson but treats their internal support staff terribly, mm-hmm. right? And so there's a lot mm-hmm. of turnover. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things we want to bring to the attention of the CFO is, you know, really is, you know, Sarah really making you that much money if you spend $300,000 replacing somebody on her team right. every 18 months? Yeah. Like how much money is she generating? Because all they look at is like the big sales numbers, not the impact of behavior. Yeah. So I love your point about, you know, we've really got to look at like the whole picture and decide like, what's the impact on the workers? Because people come to work for their manager. So this is taking my brain, Ellen, to each leader out there who is a people leader, considering intentionally how is each team member doing? How do you create a sense of belonging for them? How do you make it comfortable and safe and great for them to show up as their full selves and share their ideas and perspectives? Um, I think it's, it's paying attention. Uh, I think it's also some asking, right? Like wh- what's working for folks? What That's do you right. need, right. right? Asking them questions to find out about who they are and where they come from and how they see the world. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. you got it. You yeah. got it. It's behavior, right? So intention is good. and um, It has to be followed up with behavior. Yeah. And by the way, the top leadership team also has to be held responsible for behaviors that are inclusive, right? So you can't mm. just push it down. You have to hold each other accountable as well. And we teach people how to do that in a respectful way. Like if somebody's in a break room and they tell a blonde joke, you know, we just kind of say like, hang on, you know, we don't, we don't do that here. Right. Like I know you're kind of new and, uh, you know, and orientation gave you some guidelines, but I just want to tell you right now, we don't, we don't tell any kind of jokes that might be somebody, Mm -hmm. you know, well, there's nobody here that's blonde. That's not the point. You know, we, we have a respectful and I love what you said, emotionally and psychologically safe workplace. And this is how it happens, right? Yeah. But here's what I hear from managers all the time. Yeah. I'm already so busy. So I don't even think I have time to be inclusive. Yeah. <laughs> and I got to tell you, right? Like, you know, like that. And here's what's interesting. It's like, it actually takes less energy and time to be considerate, right? Which is what we already, everybody pretty much does anyway, just with the consideration with intention, right? Mm. So it's like using people's names, right? Like, I mean, look, 104 years ago, Dale Carnegie said, you know, I'm going to misquote this. Um, a person's name is the sweetest sound they've ever heard, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but today we need to also add in the idea that pronouns are hugely important. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Using somebody's mm-hmm. preferred pronouns, looking at people in the eye when you're talking to them, whether it's on Zoom or whether it's in person, right? That says that you matter, which means that we're not multitasking. <laughs> I'm so guilty. Of yes. That you know, because we're learning, right? Like multitasking uh-huh. instead of giving the person our full attention. And if you can't give them your full attention, say, I can't give you my full attention right now. Give me about 10 minutes to finish this email and then yes. let's talk. Yes. Right. That's all you got to do. If you miss, 
speak than say like, you know, gosh, you know, I said, let me introduce you to the girls on our tech team. And then you're like, oh, did I say girls, right? Because like they're about 35 and 40 years old. And then you just turn and say, I cannot believe I said that you all, right? Like, please forgive me. I'm mm-hmm. still learning, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I got to tell you, we all have to be patient and we all have to show grace, right? Yeah. Like we all have to show each other some yeah. grace and say, you know, like, George, if you call us girls one more time, we're going to come to work in Girl Scout uniform. Like, is that what you want? Is that what you want? <laughs> you know, like things can be made light, mm-hmm. but with, you know, like clarity, like that doesn't feel good to me. Yeah. And there's yeah. times when you can say that doesn't feel good to me. I wonder if you can say it in a different way. Lovely. Ellen, so many people think, oh, goodness, right? We're getting overly politically correct. There's nothing you can say. Can't tell any jokes anymore. But I know every time we chat, I laugh and laugh with you. And you are (laughs) funny and at no one's expense, right? We we, We can still be funny. And I love this. Bring grace. Bring patience with others and with yourself. Yeah. And honestly, if we're jumping in and we're working to be inclusive in ways that we haven't in the past, we are going to make mistakes. We are gonna we are gonna say it wrong. If we're paying attention, we're gonna see, ooh, I don't think that that landed the way that I intended for that person. Right. I was saying, speaking to their experience and where they're coming from. And okay, now like they look uncomfortable. I've put them on the spot. We could do something wrong. Apologize. Dig in and and find out what will work in that situation with that individual. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And ask too. Right. Yeah. Great. you know, I think I referred to you as she, and I know that you like the pronoun they. Did I just say that? Out, you know, and the person will say like, yeah, you did, but it happens to me all the time. You know, in the future, just know that I don't identify as male or female. Just like, like yeah. you know, like it's a conversation, right? Yeah. Like everything's not a hit. And if it occurs to you two days later, that's okay. Go back yeah. and clean it up. Two yeah. weeks later, go back and clean it up. The idea oh, here is that you can't have trust unless you have the, you know, uncomfortable conversations. They're not always hard. They just could be uncomfortable. And coming at them with humility, not humiliation, and we're not trying to humiliate others, but just coming at it with humility and saying, like, I think I misspoke. I think I screwed up. And the person may say to you, no, you said they. That's good. And then you'll be like, score. You know, like, (laughs) I'm learning. (laughs) I want to underscore what you said, Ellen, about go back and clean it up or go back and ask. Because I've, I've, I've seen, I've worked with leaders who are resisting that. Well, maybe they didn't notice or maybe it didn't offend them or uh, I'm going to make it worse if I go and I talk about it. And I think that has to do more with our own discomfort. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we yep. got to work on our willingness to be humble and step through the discomfort and have that connection, even though it might feel a little awkward or messy at the onset uh, to go and to go and clean it up. I think it's one of those things that's easier said than done, but this is, this is critical. This is the work. Yes. 
Absolutely. And awkward is the, is the key. Like awkward <laughs> is not going to kill you. you no, know I mean? like, no. Right. Like awkward is just one of those emotions that comes and goes like the weather. And so it's like, step into it. You can even say this feels really awkward to me. And that kind of calms things and down in a different yeah. way. And it makes people be able to listen better. I think that we um, realize that you learn less while you're talking, <laughs> you know, and right now, while we haven't invented anything new in a while, other than my talking refrigerator, um, we need <laughs> as much innovative ideas as we can get, right? Because the economy needs this. We need these young people's ideas. We need the um, ideas of older citizens in our communities and our workplaces who have some wisdom and perspective of time. We need all of that. And the last thing you want to do as a leader is shut that down. Right. And sometimes you don't even know you're doing it, you know? So at meetings, right? I see this at meetings all the time. A leader comes in, they've got an agenda, they've got, you know, 45 minutes, which we advocate, you know, meetings 20 minutes or 50 minutes, no longer. Not 60 minutes. And, um, and so they want to pop through their agenda. And, and when somebody says, well, hang on a second, because this is making me think of, and the manager's like, you know, we got no time for you to think. <laughs> the thinking is not on the agenda. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right? yeah. Um, you know, send me an email, which of course nobody wants that. Right. So we've got to, we've got to make some room for um, brainstorming, for ideas, for innovation, creativity. Um, and people will only do that if they feel safe. Yeah. Yes. We want to talk about bias, right? So, I'm a people leader, all people leaders out there, and we want to be inclusive, but yet we also have heard and know that all human beings have some kind of unconscious bias because we've had some kinds of experiences and not other kinds of experiences, and it gives us filters and auto perspectives, right? So if that is happening inside of us, aren't we going to be more prone to make mistakes? Probably, which is fine, you know? So here's the thing about bias. Bias is a neurological response, right? Of mm -hmm. your body, your brain trying to protect the organism. Yes. You, you're the organism, right? Uh -huh. And um, it is natural and it is good, right? Like your brain is always kind of scanning the periphery for where do I put this, right? Like, does this go in a safe pile? Does this go in a drawer? Does it go, you know, safe, unsafe, safe, unsafe. That's what our brains are constantly doing. And so, okay, right? The trick here is, and you know, I love it when people say, well, now that you tell me it's conscious, how can it still be unconscious? No. <laughs> the thing is, about 20,000 of these, this, this um, you know, scanning and, and cataloging happens every minute, yeah. right? And so a lot of times we will see something, um, you know, and I tell the story, it embarrasses me, but I tell the story because I think it's a great teaching point. I'll be walking down the street and three black kids are coming towards me, bouncing a basketball. They're six foot tall. I'm five foot something else. <laughs> and, um, and I'm a woman of a certain age, right? And I got my pocketbook on my finger. And, and when I see them walking towards me, depending on the time of day, depending yep. on what I feel, my first, my brain goes, am I safe? Yep. Right? So bias, unconscious bias is based on what we've been taught, a lot of media you know, interaction, like the media will say, young black men, you know, danger, oh. you know, Ch Chicago danger, guns, mm -hmm. you know, carjacking, mm -hmm. you know, like that's the first place because that is 
piped into my brain over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. The trick with unconscious bias is to question the first thought. Nice. Is it true? Mm-hmm. Right? And God bless Byron Katie for her work, right? Is it always yeah. true? Right? Like that. And then, so I'm not responsible for my first thought. I am responsible for questioning my first thought. And the way to manage your unconscious bias is then to understand that you get to choose your behavior. Mm. If I'm not aware that uh, that unconscious bias, I see three young black men walking towards me, young black, you know, kids or whatever. And my first response is to grab my purse closer to my body or to cross the street. Right. And I go, oh, that's my first thought, you know, and the question is, is it true? Like they're paying no attention to me whatsoever. <laughs> the middle of the afternoon. Right. You know, it's, it's you know yeah. what it's like? It's like going to the grocery store and seeing a really hot guy, you know, working at the grocery store and you're like, hey, you know, like, here's my margarine. Right. And then, and the guy goes, may I help you, ma'am? You know, and I'm like, but right. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. We all have a story. Mm-hmm. You know, we see somebody and we have a story about who they are and what they mean to us. Yeah. The first place is, is it safe? The second yeah. place is what category do I put this in? Right. Do I need to remember this? Do I need to let it go? Yes. And so, you know, and so we can't shame ourselves for our neurological response. You know, like you can't shame yourself for sneezing, right? Mm. You can't shame yourself for having an itch <laughs> and yeah. then scratching it. Like that makes no sense. Like, look at yeah. me. I'm useless. I'm no good. At what yeah. So while I say, you know, seeing these kids makes me, you know, seeing these kids and having this first response makes me embarrassed. It, it yeah. puts a little shame on me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I, I know this isn't a true story. Now I get to mm-hmm. choose my behavior. Yeah. Right? So being a woman of a certain age, I'm going to pay attention. Yeah. Right? But I also don't have to act afraid because there's nothing threatening there. The story says this could be a threat because they're black. And, it's, yeah. and then the question is, is it true? Right. right? Like, so that's, that's been my yeah. experience about managing unconscious bias. We all have it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. How do I manage it? Uh, so the fun thing to do with this, Amy, is yeah. to just play with it. Like you see Thank something you. on TV, right? And mm-hmm. go like, what's the story I have about that? Mm-hmm. Right? Or you go to the grocery, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you say to yourself, you know, just kind of play like, what's the story I have about that? See a homeless guy or a guy who looks homeless, but is actually wearing, you know, four, $400 jeans <laughs> that are torn up. Mm-hmm. That's the style. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, that guy's homeless. No, so, you know, it's like that, right? Like <laughs> yeah. I have a story yes. about a guy with torn up jeans. What's the story? And you don't have to do anything. Just kind of play with it, right? Oh, thank you. I mean, what a gift if listeners can step into that. I mean, I'm feeling like this is a gift right now to be playful with it. And it's, and it's coming back to your concept of not playing the game of perfection here. Because let's be honest, Ellen, when I think about it, I like to think I have a little less unconscious bias than everybody else, right? But when you name it as a neurological response, it's a neurological response that we're not responsible for. And not only is it due to what we hear in the media, what we've been exposed to in our lives, it's also... Uh, I, I heard this the other day. What is unfamiliar to us? Yeah. Right? So an Asian female being the pilot on my plane, unfortunately, is unfamiliar. 
And, you know, this is saying, even if we see that, we might be very excited to see that. Yes, right? Love, love to see this female as the pilot of my plane, but it's unfamiliar. Our brains can still have a neurological response and that we're not responsible for that. (laughs) We're not responsible for that. We don't have to shame ourselves about that. We're responsible for our second thought. We're responsible for our behavior. Yeah, we are responsible for questioning it, right? Like, yay, oh, our brains, you know, like our heart's like, yay, you know, girl power. And our brains are like, I don't know. Yeah. This is unfamiliar. And, and we laugh, right? What? Because it's ridiculous. Right? Yes. It's ridiculous. But we have to let that part come up and go, is it true? And then we go, that's ridiculous. Like, come yes. on, right? Yes. And then laugh at yourself and keep going. In the workplace, it shows up like this. I'm a straight white male and I have to give feedback or developmental feedback that's somewhat negative to a, you know, we'll use your Asian female who has piercings and tattoos. Right. And I, I'm, I'm barely comfortable talking to her on the day to day, but now I have to give her feedback that she's not really doing her job well. Mm. And I'm afraid she's going to complain to HR because she's going to think I'm doing this out of prejudice. Yeah. I yeah. hear this often. Yeah. So I don't give this developmental feedback. Yes. So I avoid it. Yeah. Right. And so the question to that leader is, is it true that she's going to assume that you're prejudiced? Right. Or is she going to assume your prejudice because she's not getting feedback from you? Right. But there's be, then our behavior changes because we just go with the first thought instead mm-hmm. of questioning the first thought. And the other cool thing is that if you have colleagues or everybody's got a boss, right, except me and you, no. <laughs> everybody's got a right? But seriously, like, but we use yeah. each other, yeah. right, to say, like, here's the story I have about this employee, right? And then you'll say to me, well, and I don't know that she's going to think you're prejudiced. Is there other behavior that would make her think you were prejudiced up until this developmental conversation? And then I got to kind of say like, no, you know, we go to after dinner, uh, after work parties and we have been in each other's homes and right. Like the trust has already been established. The the emotional psychological safety has already been established. So then my first thought doesn't really match what's happened and behavior is everything, you know? Yeah. Yes. Well, I used to I used to date a guy who would say, watch their feet. And I would be like, what Ooh. are you talking about? Right. What, what was he talking about? <laughs> I don't know. He was incredibly attractive and fun and nice. So I didn't really care at the time. But I know what he's talking about. <laughs> I was like, you are so pretty. No, because here's the thing. Like he was saying, watch their behavior. It's not their words that you need to listen to. It's their behavior. Ah, okay. Okay. Okay, watch right. their feet because their feet do the walking. What is okay? I guess um, and, you know, like their it. behavior will speak actually speak louder than words is what he was saying. Yes, yes. Uh, Alan, it's coming full circle to me to pay attention. Pay attention to the first thought that comes up. Right, let that be. Uh, be responsible for our second thought, pay attention to how we're feeling in the moment, right? If we're feeling uncomfortable, if we're feeling hesitant, what is that about? Pay attention to other people, right? Are they engaged? Are they participating? Are they not? What is their body language telling you? That inclusive leaders are constantly paying attention in here and out there. And digging in. Yeah. 
I mean, the bottom line is you want your workers to, um, you want them to be present, first of all. So there's a role model opportunity here. And secondly, people who, again, feel like their boss has their back, feel like their boss cares about them. You know, like this doesn't mean you have to go babysit for them, right? right. Like listening and being present is huge, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to solve problems with them or having them solve problems themselves and then giving them feedback on the process. All of that is your job. But if your head is down in a spreadsheet all the time, you are missing a huge opportunity mm-hmm. to make your your workload lighter because mm-hmm. you could be you could have people who are like happy to be delegated to you could have people on your team who want to stretch their mm-hmm. skill set, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they will take your direction and take your guidance and take your encouragement and enthusiasm with everything that's intended because you have yeah. made it safe for them. Yeah. Right. So then productivity increases. And when the topic, the title of my book, as you mentioned, people get healthier, right? Like yeah. when you're around somebody who's really negative and nitpicking or flat out just being abusive using profanity in the workplace stuff like that your immune system starts to suffer and here's what's interesting too the research that was done by harvard professor i'm blanking out on her name i have a huge respect for this woman and i'm blanking out on her name i apologize we can put it Um, in the show notes yeah (laughs) okay good what i thought what they found in the research was that even if you're not the one who's being bullied yeah. Um, if you're observing it or if you're in the room or in the cubicle or, or whatever next to it, your immune system starts to suffer. Yep. So now you have people taking, you know, mental health days, but you also have them taking sick days yes. because the, the, you know, and I hate the word toxic workplace. I don't like that at all, but because the workplace becomes unsafe and unsure, there's yep. no steadiness of behavior. Yep. And obviously the opposite is true. If people feel safe, they feel respected, they feel seen and appreciated, they're going to dig in, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, Ellen, I'm so glad that you said that because when I was saying pay attention, that's only part, I mean, it's it's access, but we need the tap in to others' strengths and values and perspectives. We need the step in when something, when someone's not being treated well. We need the show it we got we got to change our behavior we have got to try new behaviors yeah, yeah. which takes courage it which takes courage courage yes yeah. all of this but there are two, two awesome things about what you said one is you don't need international corporate policy to be an inclusive leader yeah. this is a personal issue that you can choose a different way of looking at things and try some new skills so that's great it will take courage to speak up and say, I I want you to know that I have a lot of respect for you and I know that you're trying hard, but we need to talk about some places where you're missing the mark in your performance. It will take courage to say, you know, we're having a a team meeting with the CFO and the CFO makes a joke about black people. And to say, you know what, CFO, I mean, I just, I, I, I don't know whether I should stop you now or stop you outside the room, but in order to advocate for my team, I have to tell you that that joke is off color, inappropriate, and I wish you would find another way to make your point. Yep. Right. So you do it in the meeting, you do it out of the meeting, but that. But you do it. Courage. You do it, and it. Yeah. 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 And then here's what's interesting: if you find that you are demeaned, demoted, or fired because you spoke up in in defense of other people's spirit, 
then chances are your values are not in alignment with the values of the company. Yep. And chances are it was, there was already signs that it was time to go. Right. I mean, this is when people have the hardest time when their values don't align with their leadership. Absolutely. Absolutely. So many great things that you have said today, Ellen, pay attention, take action, Bias is a neurological response. We're not responsible for that. We're responsible for our second thought and the behavior that we take. And the acknowledgement that all of this takes courage. Thank you for being with us today, Ellen. I always enjoy spending time with you. I feel the same way, Amy. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the Courage of a Leader podcast. If you'd like to further explore this episode's topic, please reach out to me through the Courage of a Leader website at www.courageofaleader.com. I'd love to hear from you. Please take the time to leave a review on iTunes. That helps us expand our reach and get more people fully stepping into their leadership potential. Until next time, be bold and be brave because you've got the Courage of a Leader.